Truth Espresso, episode 279. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello there friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. Welcome to yet another episode of Truth Espresso. This is Daniel Minnick, your host, along with my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea. And we are going to do part two of talking about Jeffrey Epstein, his life and legacy. And so if you haven't listened to the first episode, we highly encourage it. And this episode, we're going to get into some of the cases, the court cases that Epstein found himself in before his ultimate demise. And so, sweetheart, thank you for doing this with me again. Yeah. And we just want to put a disclaimer out there, too, for parents, if you have younger kids listening to the series, that we do our best to try and minimize some of the information that we're sharing. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein's life is full of sin, and that's why we want to talk about it and just the cover-ups of the sin and kind of exposing what's going on and things, too, and how we can be aware of that as parents and how we can protect our children, also protect ourselves. Like, we are not, I mean, if it wasn't for Christ, we could easily find ourselves in similar situations, going down the wrong path. But if you do have younger ones, just being aware of this is a topic that you want them to be listening to or not, but... We're glad you're uh, listening in to this episode, and yeah, let's see what all we talk about this time. Oh, yeah. So if you listen to the last episode, we talked about Jeffrey Epstein's early life, how he became a person with money and power, how he would hobnob with the stars and the politicians and high-profile professors and lawyers from Ivy League institutions. So he did become one of the most famous and infamous people in the world, but he was a very mysterious person. There are a lot of people who had met him and known him, but there were a lot of people in that case who didn't really know all the details about what was going on behind the scenes. We also talked about some of Epstein's strange ideas for how he would be a philanthropist to the world. But <laughs> So, yeah, you want to catch up on that? Listen to the last episode, and this is part two. And now we're going to dive into where Jeffrey Epstein finds himself battling the law and dealing with accusations from the victims of his enterprise. The first time Epstein found himself under investigation, his first criminal case, and it kind of ranged the details of it, the effects of it, kind of ranged from the years 2005 to 2011. And this was when a stepmother of a 14-year-old girl told the Palm Beach Police Department, so Palm Beach, Florida, 
that an older girl took her stepdaughter to Epstein's residence where he bribed her for an inappropriate massage session. And we find out from lots of testimonies that Epstein had this regular need for massages that some people said that he would get three massages every day, basically. And he would get massages from underaged girls. And so in this case, this is someone who actually found out that her stepdaughter ended up at his residence and found out from probably what she told her about what she was involved in. So the stepmother realized, okay, this is illegal. This is immoral. Let me talk to the police here and report it. In this case, the police department was getting frustrated at a lot of runaround. And, of course, Epstein had his plethora of high-profile, powerful lawyers, as Epstein expected that if he ever found himself in this situation, because he knew that what he was doing was definitely illegal, and so he'd use his influence and power to keep it hidden, but... Hey, he had his army of lawyers to help out with minimizing or dismissing any charges. And so when the police department was getting frustrated that it seemed like things were going downhill and that they're getting lots of evidence of problems with underage girls, and yet the lawyers were working out kind of a plea deal or minimizing things to where you'd pretty much go off scot-free from the charges... The FBI also decided later to do an investigation and they found from searching Epstein's searches online and his purchases, his receipts there, that he had purchased several books from Amazon that detailed tactics for erotic slavery, as they call different books that would talk about how to kind of subjugate people to act like your slave and in erotic ways. And so that very much clued the FBI in as to what type of person Epstein was, what kind of enterprise he was running in the shadows. Although the FBI then gathered reports of many young females from different countries, so this was not just a local thing. It wasn't just Palm Beach, Florida here. It was international, too. Epstein initially pleaded not guilty to the charges, and his lawyer, who is Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz, negotiated a plea deal with U.S. attorney Alexander Acosta for a charge of abuse of one minor and a non-prosecution agreement with the federal government. And I think it was obvious that the U.S. attorney Acosta at this time was someone who probably realized We can't let something this big become public. Let's try to figure out how to make sure what he's actually charged with, because he he knows too much. Let's try to make sure that there's no stigma attached to what he ends up having to suffer or possibly even get on with his life. And Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz, who was Epstein's lawyer at the time, like there's a lot of mystery now with how much he was involved in knowing what Epstein was doing at the time. He's interviewed a lot on Fox News and even on Newsmax sometimes. He's a constitutional lawyer. So he will explain, as the documents have been coming out, that of course he defended Epstein, who was his client, and 
He had flown on his plane, but he denies the charges against him that some people have accused him of some girls being passed around. Let's say, let's say that, and, and that he was one of the people involved in that. He denies the charges. He's also said that he's happy that the documents are unsealed, and he believes anything that comes out will vindicate him. We shall see, you know, because otherwise, the way he appears online, he defends President Trump against a lot of the charges. He seems to be good at constitutional understanding, but yeah, I'm not going to make any assumptions. So I would say, hey, if he's guilty of anything by which he's been accused during this time, I want it to come out and I want justice to be done, regardless of how nice of a guy or how whatever he seems to be today. Now, of course, another Epstein lawyer negotiated to avoid jail time and particularly, you know, to make sure he wasn't registered as a sex offender. And, of course, we know that's what Epstein and his lawyers wanted to make sure would happen because they didn't want any kind of something that would halt any continuing lifestyle or break down any influence he could have. You know, he wanted to get off scot-free, just a very light slap on the wrist. Now, that seemed like it was going to happen and to eventually in the agreement. So the agreement, the non-prosecution agreement was sealed to keep the public from seeing just how vast his trafficking crimes actually were. There was information, of course, verifiable information, it seems, about a lot of victims, but Epstein's lawyers wanted to keep it to like a single charge an ambiguous charge and not even have information about whether the charge of prostitution involved an underage girl so to avoid having to register as an offender. But when he appeared in court on June 30th, 2008, he had to register as an offender and go to jail. But this would be the most lenient 18-month sentence for a, a genuine offender. <laughs> Which is interesting because recently, I mean, just within this last year, we have come across some girls that have been most likely being trafficked and other people that have come forward and said that they were kind of sounding like they were trafficking a girl even. I mean, we've had to, through our clinic, we've had to make some different reports and they don't really seem like Child Protective Services or the police. I mean, the police are a little bit better about wanting to investigate a little bit, but it just seems interesting, like, why would they choose to go after someone with this big name just to have to conceal everything and hide it when there's other cases of just community people that they aren't going after? <laughs> it's just kind of a part of the messed up justice system, I guess, that they go after one person, not the other, that potentially have done the same type of crimes and stuff. Yeah. Don't you think reading through a lot of Jeffrey Epstein stuff, the song that always gets stuck in my head <laughs> is the song that we would sing when we were kids, like, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> Does that come to your mind at all? <laughs> like reading this or? Hmm. Oh, yeah, now it will. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it does make sense because things as huge as this starts with using your senses, like your eyes, seeing things you shouldn't and not trying to turn away, not trying to avoid, but 
doubling down, continuing to look at things that you shouldn't look at and letting it destroy your brain, dull your senses, and break down your any moral judgment you might have. So the Bible has a really cool verse that just like stood out when I was reading this. Matthew 6, verse 22, it says, this is the English Standard Version because the King James made it sound a little bit harder to understand. But So it says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Isn't that cool? Like, depending on what you're looking at, what you're doing, like, that affects your whole body. And if it's something that's evil, something that's darkness, then, of course, you're going to be living in darkness or living like the darkness and evil. And But if your eye is bad, in verse 23, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Hmm. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or mammon, as it was called there. So kind of like money, the security or the desire to obtain money. Yeah. The light of the body is the eye, or the eye sees, and, you know, so it's like, if your eye doesn't work right, your whole body experiences the darkness of that. And Because Jeffrey Epstein didn't just wake up one day full of darkness and wanting to do such extreme evil, and, I mean, to the extent of the cover-up, and, I mean, just how vast, I mean, international even, I mean, it's just hard to comprehend how big of a thing this is. But it's something that he gradually got into. And so I'm like, okay, what kind of started that whole process? And just thinking about how, I mean, a lot of times we hear about like pornography. Mm. And pornography is so destructive to the human brain. It even changes your brain. They can see on an MRI changes in your brain when you're exposed to pornography. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so some of the changes that they can see in the brain is that people that look at pornography and they say heavy users, so I'm not sure what they define as that, but they had less gray matter in their brain. And that's like part of the brain's reward system. So it's usually you think of it as like you're motivated or your decision making. So when you have less of that, you're not able to make good decisions. You're not thinking fully through consequences and you're not motivated to make the changes. So, of course, when you have less of that, you're going to not be able to, like, in some ways, mentally get out of it. Yeah. It's like you can't can't really see the future in such a way as value system it's just like how do i satisfy myself in the here and now and your brain adjusts to that so much even physically like neurons burning and fusing and stuff like that to shape in such a way that it accommodates that kind of new pattern so the study showed that they also had less brain response So when you would typically have these neural responses in intimacy, they found that with exposed pornography, that that response was greatly decreased. And it makes sense as to why people start off with really soft pornography and then it has to grow and become intense and 
in the study shows like okay a lot of these they can't even just look at pornography they have to add a whole bunch of other things whether it's drugs or alcohol or bringing in other people harming people because that sensory has been weakened so much and then the third thing that they found was that their circuitry in the brain between the prefrontal cortex which is the decision making and the reward system was reduced so there's not only the gray matter that holds the part is reduced but also the connection between those two are greatly reduced so it's like kind of this double punch effect in the brain they say it's more destructive to your brain than illicit drugs like it releases so much dopamine in the brain that it causes all this damage to it hmm. that is actually visible on these MRIs. Well, yeah. And that's just what happens to someone's brain, not to mention everything that it has as a secondhand effect on other people. So, yes, lesson, do not uh, let down your guard and get into pornography. And if you are caught up in it, seek help to get out of it. Seek counsel. Seek the Word of God seek accountability partners and whatever you might need to get out of it because it's not worth it. You can't defend it. You can't say you're not addicted to it. You know, like I hear people like say they smoke. Oh, I just smoke. Like I'm not addicted to it. I just do it because I want to like, okay, well then I want to say, well, then I challenge you not to do it for a week. Mm-hmm. If you're not addicted to do it, then you should be able to just say, okay, Okay, I'll take up your challenge. And if they come up with an excuse, then it's like, I think you're more addicted than you're letting on. But mm. same thing with pornography, you know, it's toxic. It's worse than smoking and alcoholism and drugs. And so now when we're learning about Epstein's life and how he lived, we're seeing what those consequences are of looking at the wrong things, doing the wrong things, listening to the wrong things, all those things that Philippians tells us to be aware of, to think on things that are beautiful and that are just and pure, of good rapport. The Bible says that not just because it's trying to give us something to do, it's therefore our protection. And if we are conscious about that and make that a priority, that we're always careful about what we're doing and what we're looking at, that is for our own good. And so it's just, to me, it's sad reading through Jeffrey Epstein's life and seeing just how far down he got because of this addiction that he had and that there wasn't anyone that came beside him and said, hey, I mean, maybe there was and he ignored them. But when you see the ultimate downfall of what something like pornography could potentially pull you down to, I think this is just that good time to reevaluate like what are we doing to protect ourselves and to protect our children from this. Mm. And if you were to ask the professor at Dalton, math teacher at Dalton, when Epstein started out his career... What would you think if I showed you what the end of your life was going to look like and what kind of legacy you would leave behind? Would you continue on the path that you're on? If the practice principle is vital for teaching such morally neutral tasks as tying shoes, how much more important is it for training children in Christ-like character? This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. 
Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. So we also know, just as I think the psalmist struggled with about why do the wicked prosper and why do the righteous suffer, when it comes to Epstein's legal woes, he was a powerful, well-connected person. And so it's not like justice rained down on him from the start. He was very good at getting away with things and it would take time before justice would start to happen as it eventually became too hard to hold things back. So when Epstein went to jail, he was kind of kept at the nicest part of the jail. I forget the name of the wing of the prison there. And during his 18-month sentence, after the first three and a half months of his term, he was allowed to spend 12 hours per day, six days per week on work release outside the jail. So basically he was allowed to live like his tycoon self and just kind of periodically reporting back into the cushy jail. Normally offenders like that, registered offenders, aren't allowed that kind of treatment according to the law, but he knew people who would make it happen. And after the first 13 months of his 18-month sentence, he was released. So basically, this was one of the easiest jail sentences anyone has experienced. And and that was after hiding and sealing just how incredible his offenses were documented at the time to negotiate down to one vague charge, short prison sentence, easy, cushy prison. If I remember from reading correctly, there's a woman who accused him of doing something with her during this prison sentence when he's on work release. So yeah. Now the accusing victims, after Epstein had went to prison for this first charge here, discovered that there is a secret deal that he had made, and they began challenging it in court. And of course, it would take a long time. It would take about a decade for them finally to get vindicated as things would start to get unsealed. So our next case that we see is in 2008, the case Jane Doe's versus Epstein, We have two women that each filed a $50 million lawsuit against Epstein for coerced massage sessions while they were minors. The same lawyer represented them. So unfortunately, their cases were dismissed. Which shows just how powerful Epstein was, the kind of lawyer he had, and how much he could avoid, you know, cover his tracks in such a way so that the victims who would accuse him of things, some of this stuff would be hard to prove in court. And it's possible that for some, as we'll see in another episode, about how Epstein could use blackmail on people. So the same lawyer represented the client. So each of them filed separate lawsuits and they ended up with the same lawyer representing them. So it kind of combined in a way there. But then Epstein had a different lawyer later that was able to negotiate down his jail time and not be registered. Yeah. So it seems like he kind of Oh yeah, he had several lawyers. Oh yeah, he had, he had an army of lawyers. Okay. I, I remember reading there was at least 3 lawyers names mentioned in the negotiations for that first charge and I'm sure he had more lawyers. So yeah. 
He had his army of lawyers and they could intimidate people. Just like, hey, you try to accuse me of something, you know, you can get in trouble. So, you know, you got to keep quiet. So the next documented case comes in 2014. It's uh, entitled Jane Doe's versus United States. So one of the women from the previous case that we just mentioned, where there was the two accusers and several other victims, other Jane Doe's, sued federal agencies for violating the Crime Victims' Rights Act with the non-prosecution agreement. So in other words, they're suing over the fact that their justice was suppressed. Some of the victims that got sealed in the first criminal charge and saying that, wait a minute, the Crime Victims' Rights Act doesn't allow this type of sealing of their victimhood to happen. So U.S. Attorney Acosta, that we mentioned earlier, later in 2019 explained in an interview that he was instructed to be very lenient with Epstein because he was told Epstein was above his pay grade and that he said i was told epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone unquote so we see that epstein even had power over and influence over u.s attorneys federal attorneys so i'm sure that's why epstein thought he could get away with a lot because hey he's connected to u.s or international intelligence so You can't bring a charge against him or that could jeopardize national security. You need to be lenient on him. Hint, hint. So the timing of discussing this case and Jeffrey Epstein's crazy history here is very timely because earlier this week, the news released that there was like a undercover investigation with some of the local high schools and middle schools in Colorado here where they were able to kind of gather some information about people that, I forget what the term is exactly, but basically people lure. There's a specific term for this type of luring that they do. So it's not oh, trafficking. For the traffic. Oh, no, yeah. trafficking, but yeah. Yeah, so it's a type of trafficking, but they use social media to do that. And they'll be friends with kids through games, through different social media accounts, things like that. And then they'll eventually start asking the minors to send over pictures that are not appropriate or do different things that are not appropriate. And then in turn, they use that to blackmail the kids to say, okay, you have to send money or we're going to blast this picture all over your school or we're going to send it to this person. And so it's a way they turn it back and then use it as blackmail Hmm. to get money or get whatever they want and stuff. So thankfully, they've been able to kind of flush some of this out here, but it's still scary. I mean, these are young kids, 12, 13 year old kids that are being victimized by this kind of behavior. So it's not just a big name, Hmm. international Jeffrey Epstein that can do evil things like this. I mean, there's evil yeah everywhere yeah and right in our backyard basically with the schools here so epstein is kind of a token of this type of thing Yeah. yeah so we see even in the 2014 case how acosta later in 2019 when epstein would face his second criminal trials that we'll talk about 
we see that there is a lot. It took about 10 years time for things to start really being allowed to come out because there's a lot of people, even in federal government, that were pressured to keep things hush-hush or to reduce things to make sure that there's no interruption to things or nothing that would allow certain information to get out into public, even though over time there's a lot of suspicion of things. So the next case, Virginia Goofrey versus Epstein in 2015. So Virginia Goofrey, now Virginia Roberts, who is now a mom in Australia, sued Epstein, claiming that she had been basically a slave of his from 1999 to 2002 and had been forced to do things with him, with his girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell, and with high-profile people like Prince Andrew and Harvard Law Professor and Epstein defense attorney Alan Dershowitz that we mentioned before. Now, Epstein settled the case out of court with Goofrey, and I'm sure she was pressured to settle and enticed to settle in such a way like, hey, a lot of money. If you continue to pursue this and want to actually go to a trial and have a verdict, you could get into lots of trouble here, so let's settle this. And sure, she went along with it, but of course felt like justice really hasn't been served through this. So I like how she kind of came back and she came and went against and tried to sue Ghislaine Maxwell for a defamation because Maxwell had blasted Virginia's accusations and tried to silence her. And unfortunately, this case faced a lot of contention from both sides of the issue. And it resulted in a, of course, sealed settlement in May of 2017. So two years of this and then it gets sealed again. And this is one of the major cases that's making headlines today because some of these documents were unsealed after Epstein died in 2019. Yeah, so I was looking at the docket in this particular case and I was seeing lots of documents back and forth, lawyers back and forth, talking about emails and kind of blaming and claiming, you know, this wasn't true and like there's a lot of arguing in the court and so they, of course, sealed the settlement, like as Epstein seemed what to do, and only to have things unsealed later because there was a great need on his part to have things sealed, things settled, such that the public wasn't privy to just how vast. They wanted to leave things as such that powerful people always have accusers claiming things so they can milk them for money. That's how they want the public to perceive things. So there were quite a, a few cases of victims suing after this that involved Epstein and Maxwell, other civil cases. So there's quite a few of them that we're not going to get into. In 2019 and following, several cases were of victims suing the estate of the deceased Epstein for what Epstein did to them. So after Epstein died, then you had different cases where, okay, now instead of it being versus Epstein, it's the estate of Epstein. <laughs> and then finally, we're going to get to the second criminal case where things really start to turn for the worst for Epstein and more information is actually coming out. And it's kind of like the boiling kettle overflowing. You can't keep it all in. There's no stopping this, which kind of reminds me of 
Be sure your sin will find you out. Even though the wicked prosper, as David lamented, eventually they're going to find justice. Now, not everyone finds it in this life, but to some extent, Epstein did. But unfortunately for him, there's even going to be more justice after his passing. Hello, I'm Melba Toast, host of Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women centered on Sola Scriptura, the doctrine that the scriptures are all we need for salvation and spiritual living. This podcast takes the popular evangelical women's ministry teachings and philosophies and compares them to scripture to show just how sufficient it is to thoroughly equip and train us to be women who glorify God in all we do, trust in Christ and all he has done, and to live out and proclaim the gospel day by day. So I hope you'll tune in to Thoroughly Equipped, which you can find on most podcast apps, Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community, or look me up on the web at ttew.org. So our criminal case number two, we go to the United States versus Epstein. And this was starting in July 6th of 2019. So Epstein was arrested at a New Jersey airport and held in Manhattan, New York for trafficking charges. Not like car trafficking. <laughs> traffic. Not traffic jams. <laughs> yeah. Or a parking illegal. Trafficking. Human trafficking charges. The same day, FBI agents, with a search warrant, entered Epstein's Manhattan townhouse, prying the front door lock with a crowbar. They found as what they described as, quote, hundreds and perhaps thousands of, unquote, explicit photos of underage girls. There were some odd decorations on different floors of the townhouse, and some of them we are not going to fully explain because they're definitely weird. And for anyone wanting to look at articles about this, just a precaution that they are very descriptive. The FBI also found inside a safe, they had compact discs that were marked with names of girls that they most likely had pictures or videos. There was also about $70,000 and about 48 diamonds. Yeah, 48 diamonds too, yeah, that were I think like one to several carats each. So lots of money worth of diamonds there. Like the decor, he had like basically nine floors in his townhouse and each floor would have strange decorations. One of the things that was reported on the most is that there's like this life-sized doll, like looks like a female, like a doll hanging from a chandelier. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so gross. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you can only, once that comes out and once that's investigated, you can only bottle up that kind of stuff for so long. The FBI agents also found CDs with like handwritten markings that would say like, young name plus name and stuff i'm sure it's like pictures and videos of underage girls on those cds that were likely also stored in the safe there if the need uh, need in quotes ever arose to like blackmail or so the july 8th letter from the department of justice to the judge with the charges for this case said quote the defendant, a registered sex offender, is not reformed, he is not chastened, he is not repentant. Rather, he is a continuing danger to the community and an individual who faces devastating evidence supporting deeply serious charges, unquote. Yeah. So, in other words, 
hey, judge, this is the kind of case we're talking about. This isn't someone struggling from a previous charge and just lapsing and stuff. This is someone who's blatantly unrepentant. And so just to keep that in mind, what we're dealing with with these charges. So, of course, Epstein, with his sly ways, tries to play a slick trick again with his criminal case. And he asked if he could just pay a $100 million bond and be under house arrest at his Manhattan house. I guess it's a townhouse. Yeah. (laughs) The judge, thankfully, denied this request with impunity because of the mountain of evidence against Epstein that the FBI was able to retrieve from his house and considered him a flight risk. Thank goodness for that judge that was not going along with this whole like pity party thing that he likes to throw. I read through the hearing what the judge said there and tried to find a, a salient point that I extracted from it. So according to the judge, quote, the crimes Mr. Epstein has been charged with are among the most heinous in the law, principally in the court's view, because they involve minor girls, unquote. You know, of course, Epstein's trying to get this until the trial, not have to await the trial in prison, but to be under house arrest and pay this big bond. And, hey, we'll have 24-hour surveillance cameras to make sure I don't do anything bad. And I'm sure, you know, he has the connections to make sure it won't really surveil him and stuff. But the judge was like, no way, Jose. (laughs) So then Epstein had to go to prison to await his trial. And he was going to have a bond hearing at some point soon. And people who knew Epstein, like his lawyer, said that Epstein seemed to be like happy and bright or like some kind of description saying that like, hey, he doesn't look like he's suicidal at the time as he was preparing for his bond trial. But on July 23rd, 2019, Epstein was found nearly unconscious. So this was the first time where he nearly died. He was then put on suicide watch, and whether or not Epstein tried to kill himself or he was attacked by an inmate or someone else is a subject of controversy. Now, after six days after that incident, he was taken off suicide watch and put in a security housing unit with a cellmate and to be checked every 30 minutes. August 8, 2019, he signed his final will and testament, The next day, August 9th, the cellmate was moved out. And of course, when we get into an episode where we're going to talk about the theories about how he died, that's one of the things that makes you wonder, why was the cellmate removed? The next day, August 10th, Epstein died in his jail cell in a position of having a bed sheet tied around his neck. The events and manner of Epstein's death is shrouded in as much mystery as much of Epstein's life was and still is. Yeah, like I was just even looking at this. Why did he sign his final will and testament? (laughs) That's almost like you do that in preparation of I'm going to die. And yeah. Which, of course, then it's like, is that evidence that he was ready to take his own life? Or is that evidence that he saw that he was in danger of someone else taking his life? And, yeah, we'll have to find out if when we look into his death more to see some people believe he did kill himself. 
there's quite a following. I think statistically speaking, it's at least half, depending on the poll, if not even more than half in some polls that say that Epstein didn't kill himself. There's just a lot of strange factors. The planets had to align just right with a lot of people not doing their jobs at just the right time and just the right hours and being able to pull off a suicide under the condition and the time he was in, you know, all of this just at the right time, it makes people wonder. So that's why there are theories that, unlike the official report, that he didn't indeed kill himself. But we will leave that for another episode to talk about those theories. And so Epstein's death in a jail cell, very much unlike the kind of lifestyle he lived, but whatever happened there, that was a taste of the justice that he would really get from God Almighty. But what does he have to show for the kind of life he lived that seemed to be hobnobbing with stars and powerful people and basically having and doing whatever he wants, when he wants, what did he leave, but to be an infamous character who had a tragic death in a jail cell. So I didn't read the first part of Matthew 6 when I was telling you about that cool verse that pops out, Matthew 6 verse 22, where the eye is the lamp of the body. So right before that is where Jesus is talking about, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But just thinking of all these like riches and mansions and all the stuff that Epstein left behind is all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be rust. Thieves are going to come in. Like He built for himself so much stuff on earth and that goes away. And what he really needed to lay up for himself were treasures in heaven. But you can't do that unless you trust Christ as your Savior. You have that Holy Spirit in you to help you to recognize like that's what we need to do and that's what we want to do. So sometimes it's like, yay, justice has somewhat been made now with him. But at the same time, like your heart kind of hurts for him because now he is without hope. He doesn't have that chance to repent now. And I mean, unless he did miraculously at the very end, but like he's going to spend eternity now without that option to come to Christ. So that just gives us like that urgency that we need to make sure that we are doing what's right with God and we're sharing Christ with others and teaching others. And even if we see sin in our lives or sin in our brother or sister in Christ, their lives, like talking about it and not covering it up and saying it's okay and let's just hide it and conceal it (laughs) because that's not helping anyone. It's not helping them. And like that song, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. So it ends for the father up above is looking down in love. So God sees like everything that we're doing, everything that we're looking at, what we're saying. He sees even beyond that. He sees our heart. And I think that this whole story and thing that's coming out is just a good reflection for us to know like, okay, where is our heart and where are we at with our walk in Christ? 
good thoughts there and be careful little eyes what they see keep jeffrey epstein on the forethought when you're looking at things you shouldn't look at and sure you might not become a big powerful tycoon like he does but it's just as destructive as it was to him and so what epstein did with trafficking is that something that even the bible might talk about well to some extent Exodus 21:16 where God told Israel and he that stealeth a man and selleth him or if he be found in his hand he shall surely be put to death so if someone takes a free person and slavery in Israel was nothing like chattel slavery you know it was more like employment for a time period for like maximum seven years unless someone wanted to continue on and you couldn't abuse your workers there but if someone steals someone and sells him or if someone ends up in possession of that person either of them they deserve the death penalty according to god so god doesn't like whether it's an adult or especially in the case of what epstein did when it involved minor girls they were treated as slaves they were passed around bought and sold and trafficked and so yeah the bible says you die if you do that and deuteronomy 24 7 says if a man be found stealing any of his brethren or of the children of israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him then that thief shall die and thou shalt put away evil among you So those who capture people and use them as slaves and sell them, and those who buy them, receive them, or otherwise participate in the practice are worthy of death. And so, yes, human trafficking is an abomination to God and is worthy of death. So Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy verses 1 through 9, he says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. So the law is not intended to suppress or punish people who are righteous. It's meant to protect them. But the law is meant to punish those who are lawless and disobedient. It's for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers or those who traffic for liars for perjured persons and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine see the apostle paul is saying true justice the way god gave his law which can be implemented in the statutes of a nation the moral law there it's not designed to manipulate or it's not designed to suppress people who are lawful righteous people it's meant to punish and it's meant to curtail it's meant to prevent lawlessness and evil which includes trafficking and stuff but people in power today they want to make the law a weapon against righteous people and they want to protect the wicked but according to the apostle paul the law is and should be to protect the righteous and to punish those who do wicked things like epstein did we hope that you you know enjoyed or were informed you know by this episode part two of discussing Jeffrey Epstein's life by looking at the legal issues that he's faced, the court cases, 
And if you're interested in, of course, the whole Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, well, we've got to do an episode on that, too, to satisfy your appetite for that, those conspiracies. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.